and welcome to Sustain a Pod, a youth-led podcast for the youth and anyone passionate about sustainability across the world. My name is Rachel and I'll be hosting today's episode of the Green Careers series. Today's guest is Isabella Kong, a corporate sustainability consultant at ERM, one of the largest global pure play sustainability consultancy firms in the world. Prior to her work, she graduated from the University of Cambridge with a bachelor's in geography. To add to her many achievements, she won the Rising Star Award at the Sustainability Consulting Awards for her journey to becoming a early professional in sustainability. Hi, Isabella, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So first of all, I would like to ask you about like some questions about your field of work in general. Can you share more about what you do as a corporate sustainability consultant? Yes, very happy to. So if you imagine a house with four pillars and each pillar represents an aspect of sustainability. So the environmental, social, governance, like who makes what decisions and how. And the fourth pillar is financial. So paying energy and water bills. And this house symbolizes the structure of a company. And now as a corporate sustainability consultant, myself and my team are invited into this house to look for ways we can strengthen the house or identify the issues that are causing its instability. So for instance, if we see in the environmental pillar, there's a large crack and this symbolizes the company's unpreparedness against climate change risks. And so then we look at the financial pillar to see what cost-effective solutions that are most appropriate for the company to adapt or mitigate against these risks like flooding or coastal erosion. And in my company, we are known for our boots to boardroom model. So if you imagine myself walking in boots and inspecting the foundation of the house or walking along its floors and the soil beneath it, And so I'm literally on the ground and understanding your company and collecting insights. And then I would walk up to the roof of the house, which represents the boardroom. And then as consultants, we communicate our findings to the leaders of a company where critical decisions are made and sustainability plans are set. And so then these feed back into the house for further execution. Uh, So this is kind of what we do as a sustainability consultant in the abstract kind of way okay so basically what you do is in simpler terms you try to pick up the risk factors within the company and try to provide solutions by directly proposing your plans to the company is that what yeah it's about yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so a bit more about your own passion into joining this job what prompts you to enter into a career like corporate consultancy and also judging by their name of the work I'm guessing sustainability does play a big factor and so how do you think sustainability changed your view in your line of work that's a great question so if I answer your last question first The word sustainability in a job title was almost non-existent in my careers fairs during high school and even in university. And it was more prominent in the public sector or academic research institutes. And so not sure if any of the listeners faced a similar experience before, but I vividly remember 
during my last year at university. And it was probably my nth time, maybe like eighth or ninth time stepping into a careers fair. And then I saw like very smiley faces around me, you know, people handing out leaflets left and right. And I felt a shortage of breath because I hadn't landed a job yet after university and where lots of my peers already had things lined up from their summer internship. And I remember that experience, I felt very disillusioned and I really just wanted to leave the career sphere and get back to my library and read my geography books. And it's kind of nerdy at that time, but I've always loved geography from GCSEs to IB and then switching to A-levels and then eventually my bachelor's degree. I really enjoyed learning the intersection between humans and nature, including plants and animals. And I also liked economics, which helped deepen my knowledge about businesses, you know, anti competitive behavior like cartels or even macroeconomic policies like employment issues and so I knew that if I had to wake up every morning to go to work I really wanted to be doing something that improved the lives of other people especially those living poorer than I was currently at the time and also I wanted to do something to protect our earth for future generations to live well So this was kind of a a broad concept I had in mind for my career. And I knew back then at the time that corporate consultancy involved working with really diverse set of clients and solving problems in many sectors like banking and real estate and telecommunications. So what prompted me to enter corporate sustainability was really my long-term interest in creating a better future and a better world. And realizing that in the private sector, businesses, you have a very strong influence on driving positive impact in the society and the environment through their investments and operations and partnering with other companies or smaller enterprises. So that was what really drove me into this field. That was quite interesting because I think a lot of people, they would rather go for a job which sustains their living instead of going for a job that they actually are interested in so I feel like you have that passion for your job and that's actually really great because I know a lot of people they have to sacrifice that for like sustaining their living as I just said but yeah and as you said before you studied geography throughout your high school and also your university education. So do you plan on maybe considering having a master's degrees after your bachelor's for geography for your future studies? I do actually. So I currently enjoy the exposure I'm getting within the private sector and working with businesses, but I do want to get back into academia and One particular topic I really enjoyed was called environmental knowledges and politics of expertise. And they put knowledges as plural because it was talking about how climate policies are made, who is involved, and how we include marginalized knowledges like indigenous people's knowledge or people living in the farming rural communities. And the broader question is, why do we disagree about climate change? So I think in the business sector, it's hard to solve this question. And within the master's, I want to get into 
that level where, and even in the future in a PhD, how we can involve different sectors that are typically excluded from climate investments, for example. And there's a large gender gap in the job creation. So if I quote a statistic, there's 395 million jobs can be created by 2030 if we reshape the way that our energy and extractive systems are operated. So through an academic lens, I can understand maybe the gender gaps and perhaps moving towards creating, let's say, with many digital tools and understanding data analytics to solve this current problem and in financial inclusion as well. So I do have future aspirations in that. And I do think doing a more concentrated masters can help develop my passions further. I see. So I guess pursuing further studies would be part of your future career aspirations? Yeah, I think so. I, <laughs> I really like studying. I think that's something mm-hmm. I miss, like going in my own tangent and having like autonomy in what I want to pursue. I think in a truly transparent way, if you're in a bigger organization, there are different types of working relationships I think in an organization it's kind of different to school so I miss going back to school Mm, I see so I liked what you say about there's like this gender gap and you think that we need to further go into like and understand it a bit more so it's like you're looking at different issues through different lenses like a gender lens or like a race lens or like a status lens and it's interesting how you can try to get the society to be more inclusive with your job so yeah that's pretty fun but now that I understand like how much you like your job were there times that you didn't really like it or just particularly some challenges you have faced yeah, so I think a biggest challenge. So, but is it like in my job, or you mean get into the field? Is it like mm, <laughs> I think maybe challenges in entering your field? Okay, so I have definitely faced challenges entering the field because coming from the UK and studying geography was very rare in Hong Kong, and I wanted to work in Hong Kong after I graduated but there were very limited career options for me because every time I did an interview I would see a graduate with a urban planning degree or with an environmental science degree would fill in that slot and sometimes I do doubt my own capabilities and maybe that's why I did think about doing a master's to show that I have more technical expertise so Being rejected from multiple jobs was kind of disheartening, especially going into the sustainability industry. So a challenge for me was challenging that status quo and stereotype that I didn't only know about meteorology, but I also understood carbon modeling and I did GIS work. And I also looked at biogeography as well as how biogeography interacts with society. So um, emphasizing how involvement of people in let's say, rural financial inclusion programs, like how to make them more involved in self-initiating ideas and solutions for their own communities was very important to in the implementation angle. So bringing that up and really 
developing that language and interviews was a skill I needed to develop. Okay, about your point about sustainability, the sustainability industry is like hard to get into without a science subject. I personally, even though I haven't graduated from high school yet, but I feel like I could somehow relate <laughs> to you a little bit because I would love to get into the environmental industry, but I'm not actually planning to take a Bachelor of Science as well. But <clears throat> seeing how you managed to secure a spot in where you're working right now in terms of beating the stereotype of having a more human arts kind of subject, I was really inspired to not take people's opinion too much into my own consideration. So yeah, that was really nice to hear about what you said that biogeography was it? I don't remember the term. Okay. Yeah, biogeography. <laughs> okay, so is biogeography one of the important concepts you learned during your education that affected your job today? Or are there any other skills or concepts you've learned? I definitely think biogeography added that quantitative angle into being a competitive graduate and finding a job because there is a lot of talk about how we use data from the IPCC and how to apply their many climate models into a particular project that is located in a particular geography. So knowing that carbon cycles differ in different jurisdictions on top of let's say you have the terrestrial sink and the marine sink I think added a competitive angle but at the same time I think what really was important in my education was learning outside of the academics because having extracurriculars really broadens your awareness of the really rapidly changing sustainability field so businesses are responding every year with new plans for net zero transitions or even ESG reports change every year. So I did learn that uh, doing something outside of studying. So what I did was being involved in my college's green and ethical affairs committee. And because when I was studying geography at the time, the UK was going through a national divestment campaign and specifically universities were pledging to divest from fossil fuels and our college ultimately did withdraw our funds and through this opportunity that I would never have touched upon climate finance sustainable finance frameworks I really understood what ethical investing meant and how we can help our college rechannel funds towards something more sustainable and this helped me develop communication skills, working with different people. You know, we had the Burzar, we had a master's. We also had different um, campaign committees around the university and problem solving. So also creative thinking, like what are alternative solutions if we have all this money not going to fossil fuels anymore, arms companies. So those really added applicable job skills outside of my degree. Okay, so you just talked about this briefly, but about the point you said about joining something outside of academics, like a club inside of school or outside of school, what other advice would you give for those who would like to enter the field of sustainability or your job in particular? 
I think the graduate level being aware of these trends, so reading widely and listening to podcasts. So for example, there's different media sources like ESG Today or ESG Now, and even Sustainapod provides lots of nice insights into what's happening outside in the sustainability space. So I would heavily emphasize that if you're going into work, going into a school, put something on and listen to in the radio or Spotify. And also in those curriculars outside your degree, you can really meet people from history or politics or even uh, medicine. And they have very interesting insights into, let's say, public health that is essentially also related to sustainability. So I think if you're not in extracurriculars, maybe making friends outside of your cohort and degree is very helpful to enter this consultancy field too. Yeah, I think establishing connections is definitely part of our journey in life. Because having connections does open up a lot of different opportunities, not just for work, but also for social life. Like, yeah. But that's it for the questions about your general field of work. But now we're going to move on to more about what you do at your company so what do you think has been the highlight of your career so far I think there has been many it's kind of hard to pick one particular moment if I had to say one so um, there was a call that we had with our CEO who's based in the U.S. and he connects with our colleagues perhaps every few months and during one of the calls I was not expecting this, but he brought my name up and Archana, who is another colleague based out of India for the work that we do for Asian University for Women. And so the CEO of a company with 7,000 plus employees, like recognizing the work of graduate level employees was something that was a highlight for me because sometimes the work I do outside of consulting, I feel might not be seen, but this particular initiative we ran with AUW undergraduate students was a careers workshop and we shared how our client case studies and tips on applying for the environmental and ESG field. This was a key highlight for me because I got to help young women who are the first to attend university and their families from marginalized communities across Asia and the Middle East and helping them get a foot in the door in the sustainability industry was very meaningful to me and also to diversify our sustainability, the people that we work in this company and field. So, and Archana and I were finalists of the Environmental Analyst Sustainability Consulting Awards. So being nominated for that on a global level was also a strong encouragement and a highlight in my career. Yeah, definitely. Like being recognized, not just it within your company, but also like globally is, I can feel it's going to be a very huge accomplishment and achievement. And I think you'll remember it for the rest of your life. So, yeah. (laughs) But, well, other than that, so within your field of work, um, could you provide some day-to-day life interactions with your colleagues as a consultant at your company? Yeah, Chris. So in the morning, a typical day in the office, I'd get in, 
have a cup of coffee, and then perhaps there'd be a client weekly call to catch up on the project status. So sometimes in the morning, this would be a consortium of clients from the US and then representatives from Asia, and then in our ERM internal colleagues, some from the Singapore office and Australia and then Hong Kong. So we would all gather together in this call and then review the data that might have come through in the last week or anything like the permitting status of a renewable energy plant or perhaps the strategy of our climate risks have they been approved by the directors of the board for example and then we would exchange questions and answers and then perhaps later on in the morning we would sit down with our internal team and discuss what was mentioned in the call from the client and then further review the data and then write and start a report and during lunch times that'd be a nice time to eat with colleagues from the same or different teams and sometimes we would go out or eat in the office pantry just kind of catch up on the weekend um, and also something interesting is we sometimes have these brown bags or lunch and learns so some other colleagues might bring up some industry best practice or something, a lesson learned from one of their projects on health and safety. And we would have our lunch and listen to these case study sharings. And in the afternoon, if a project is needed for a site visit, like sometimes our colleagues, we go into visit an energy facility. So also have some health and safety preparation and like wearing a hard hat and yellow vest suit. I remember doing that and talking to some stakeholders involved in this project. So it could be construction workers or project managers that are located in the energy facility. And we would collect this primary data through these interviews, which then feed back into our project. And that would normally maybe happen every month or so. In the evening, sometimes we would gather with other companies in business chamber events, and there would be maybe a panel discussion and opportunity to network. So let's say the Hong Kong Green Finance Association would hold an event and then share some best practices. And then on Fridays, maybe there could be happy hours and sometimes there is like overtime with tight deadlines, but working in the office creates a sense of like team camaraderie. So it's sometimes nice to continue problem solving together that way. I thought uh, being a sustainability consultant, often you would work indoors but after hearing what you said, every month you would go for a site visit. And I didn't expect that because <laughs> I always had this image of a sustainability consultant working inside an office environment rather than like, going out and doing outside work. So that was really interesting. Yeah. And you've mentioned the term sustainable finance a lot during our conversation. And I think you worked on topics about sustainable finance and ESG. First of all, can you explain these concepts to our listeners that might not know what they are? Sure. So for sustainable finance first, it's a project-specific lending by financial institutions to companies. And then this uses risk management frameworks. So for example, there's the Equator principles or IFC performance standards in order to assess and manage the environmental and social risks of projects. So sustainable finance in 
consulting for field I am right now, it's project specific. But for ESG, it can be more company level and company specific. So this is indicators that evaluate the corporate behavior and determine kind of environmental, social, and financial performance of the companies. So how these metrics also affect their reputation and their capital costs. So there's kind of two layers of how we can help a company become more sustainable through their company level, it's ESG, and then through sustainable finance, which is through project specific items. Okay, then how do you use these two major concepts in working with your clients to tackle with climate risk? And how is it important in terms of the ESG landscape in Hong Kong? That's a great question, because in a company, it's similar to, let's say, a house. You're building the foundation, then you have the pillars, and then you have the rooftop. And some houses might be more advanced, so they already have a very developed rooftop. And some might not even have the first brick yet. So depending on where the company is in their life cycle, we apply different tools So let's say the company is at the very, very start and they have nothing. So we would help them do a gap assessment and compare with the peers that they aspire to be and what things that are best practices and what they're doing well. And then we would recommend these and show to the current company what they can potentially do and then do a type of assessment of data of the company, like number of employees or current OPEX, like operating costs, and what is actually feasible. So this might be an early stage. In the middle stage, for example, a company might be wanting to sell out some assets. And then we would do, let's say, a sell side due diligence. So for example, it would have more mature ESG initiatives but then we maybe work with the companies that want to buy it, what other things can be more developed. So for example, a 2030 transition plan for net zero or 2050, and this would involve climate risk assessments. So let's say in the medium term, there is going to be 70% chance of flood in this particular power plant that's located on the coast. So how do we help them adapt to this? So what type of flood defense mechanisms? Or how do we even assess what opportunities there are? So if it was a manufacturing plant based off traditional coal and oil, what type of solar panel facilities we can add to that to create an opportunity for this particular power plant? And so in the Hong Kong context, ESG investing has been picking up really fast. And there's more and more financial institutions that are signing up to ESG related frameworks. So there's stuff like PRI and that's the UN principles of responsible investing. And in the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, the ESG reporting guidelines have been tightened. So by July 2020, there has to be mandatory climate related risk disclosure. And by 2025, there has to be a TCFD alignment, which is the task force for climate related financial disclosure. So I think in Hong Kong, given there's a tighter governance, more and more companies need to be more resilient and more prepared in their ESG and sustainable finance, climate risk of preparedness. Yeah, I feel like with 
the increased awareness of environmental protection or just sustainability in general, I think Hong Kong is also trying to push their environmental regulations, like to tighten them so we could also become greener or more sustainable in a way. But I feel like that definitely has a bit more work to do, but I'm glad to know that we have started to be aware of the situation we're in right now. So yeah, um, re regarding your personal work, do you think you have a favorite project that you've worked on? And what is the best part about being able to create solutions for a more sustainable future? All right, I think I might not be able to share a specific project, oh, okay. but I can definitely share what's the best part. I think the best part of creating solutions for a more sustainable future is creating partnerships with other people and other companies, other consultancies, and even government regulatory bodies, because there's so much that corporates can do that support our consultancy business. It's mainly corporates that have a demand for upgrading the ESG pillars, for example. But consultancies also have a role to drive for the need and the demand and advocate for you need a net zero transition plan, or you need to have a greenhouse gas inventory, or you need to have social initiatives to drive more DEI. So sometimes I think consultancies working with other smaller businesses that have targeted DEI expertise, or even partnerships with, let's say we partner with Salesforce to drive more reach towards more clients. I think this has really opened my eyes to the enjoyment of learning from other people too, and other companies. And that's one of my favorite parts of working in this space. That's really cool. It's kind of a bummer that you can't disclose information about your favorite project, but that is okay because privacy reasons, we understand that. But I feel like the major highlight of your career would be winning the Environment Analyst Rising Star Award. So do you think that winning that award reaffirmed or helped you realize anything in this consultancy sphere? It helps me reaffirm that anything is possible while working with other people. So, for instance, when I brought up the Asian University for Women, it helps me understand that one person alone can't solve issues, but it definitely helped me further my motivation and interest in creating partnerships and meeting new people that are interested in sustainability and uplifting others. And also at the same time, it helped me realize that we young people do have a voice, like senior leaders can catch on to that and understanding not being afraid of voicing out because we have great ideas. And I think if there are people we find that are supportive, eventually it can help to actualize the idea. So it's, it's given me greater confidence as well. And also that there's not just one star, there's constellations. So from this Rising Star Award, I hope it'll be an award for Rising Constellations. Okay, that was really cool to end off. So 
Yeah, so I feel like what you've been saying is that collaboration is definitely the key to succeeding and also not being afraid to speak out about your own opinions, especially us, the youth, because we're often, I guess, scared of speaking up because like, we're scared about the people's, the higher-ups' opinion about our view, but I feel like we should be and sharing maybe your opinion would make a great change or great difference to where you're working at so yeah I feel like that was a really nice advice to end off this episode so thank you to (laughs) Isabella for sharing your insights with us today and I've learned a lot and I'm sure the listeners did as well and thank you to Sustainapod listeners for tuning in this week with us. We would love to hear from you about the episode. So let us know about your questions and comments by messaging us at Instagram at Sustainapod underscore G-I-H or email us at Sustainapod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.